We talked about the euphemism they have in baseball, and they say Chris Stewart is one of the better ones at framing pitches. And framing is the euphemism for trying to fool the umpire, trying to take a pitch just off the corner and make it look like it was a strike. Jose Molina, the catcher for Tampa Bay, they tell me is absolutely the best at framing. And, of course, we'll see Tampa Bay when they come here on the ninth. The first pitch to Stewart, he takes low off the plate, ball one, one and oh. They are so, what would be the word, so studious about the activities of the major league player. They even have statistics on framing. And when I said that uh, Jose Molina is the best at it, they say he has framed 13 point something for strikes, a percentage. Good morning and welcome to episode 257 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, you know what I just learned about 10 seconds ago? What? Jonathan Papelbon's fastball is three miles an hour slower than it was two years ago. Yeah, I think I I think I wrote something about that recently. He's, yeah, kind of scary. But he's having, uh, he's having such a good year. Yeah, uh, his, I mean, he's having a his... worse year now than he was a month ago, mm-hmm. but he's basically having a really good year. Uh, yeah, weren't his weren't his strikeouts down by? Uh, yeah, they're down quite a bit. I think they are. They're way down. Yeah, so that's um, it's worrisome. Mm-hmm. He is having a, a low BABIP year. Uh, I don't. So uh, this is you don't hear about. You don't hear about relievers' velocity going down as much. I'm sure it think, happens just as much, but it yeah. seems like we focus more on the starters. And I think you you should hear about it more because I think it was in a Mike Fest article he showed, and I think we may have discussed this at some point, that uh, velocity loss hurts relievers more than starters, all else being equal, which makes sense because they're— it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're more reliant on their fastball or they, they throw two pitches and they don't have as much to, to mix in there. So if they— lose some velo, then that hurts them. So, yeah, Papelbon, sort of scary. Velo. Yes. Not velo. You say velo? Uh, in my head, I think I've always said velo because it's velocity. Yeah. It's vel- velocity. It's not velocity. Huh. I don't know. So, in my head, but you're right. I mean, I think it, those it does... know say velo, and I, think, I also I think say that it. I I would, I would, I would say that I would approve of a velo just based on the word itself. So I'm not surprised. What do you want to talk about? Uh, I wanted to talk about international spending and the Cubs. Okay. And I want to talk about um, extensions, some extensions from the past. Okay. Sort um, of. By the way, we should. When we talked about suspensions the other day and who, yeah, who gets the money. Sure. Uh, so that the teams just keep it, right? That's, they can just keep that it. That is the answer. <laughs> so uh, that I I was having a, a very macabre uh, G chat conversation with somebody not that long ago, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of hesitant about bringing this up, but um, we were just talking about the fact that if if somebody could profit a hundred million dollars from your death, for instance, mm-hmm. you would be kind of worried about a hit being taken out on sure. you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're not allowed to, for instance. You're not allowed to buy a hundred million dollar life insurance policy on me, mm-hmm. uh, 
presumably in part because you might murder me, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh-huh. And so cl- clearly I'm not I, – I, I don't worry about teams doing this, but it is such a massive amount of money. And now that I know this, now that it has been confirmed thanks to, to Deadspin, uh, now that it has been confirmed, it really does – I mean it does kind of get you in a conspiratorial mindset where you wonder how much of this A-Rod business is um, – or you know, I guess you wonder whether – the A-Rod business is being driven by basically the clubs, uh, you know, wanting to take care of their financial interests or mm-hmm. one one owner's, one of the 30 owner's financial interests. I would say that I don't really feel that way probably, but it does make your conspiratorial part of your brain start worrying, uh, worrying, not worrying, but worrying. Um, and uh, it's, an, it's an odd thing to do. And, I, and I'm not sure why... I don't know if the clubs have a right to it, to be honest. I don't know if the clubs have a right to the to the money. I don't know if anybody has a right to the money, uh, but the clubs have committed that money to a player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah. I don't. Uh... I don't see why a club. I don't see why a club should be bailed out just because the player they signed cheated. I mean, the point of, in fact, part of the point of a suspension of a player, part of the point I would I would say is to punish the team as well. Um, that the discipline is twofold. It disciplines the the player, but it also disciplines his entire team. And when you have players who are worth less than their contracts, it's no discipline at all. It's a it's a reward. You're rewarding teams for for having steroids users. And uh, presumably, you know, if a team maybe, uh, no, I mean, if a if a team has a choice of whether to report the player or not, you create. A strange incentive mm-hmm. for them. So. And the situation would be different if if this were a Rudd five years ago. Um, then yeah. they, they might want him to be playing, <laughs> but uh, but right. yeah, you just, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't like it. So Buck Showalter got in some trouble for for saying the same thing. Did you see that? I saw he said the same thing. I didn't see that he got in trouble. Well, not so much in trouble as he. He didn't intend for those comments to be on the record, uh, but they were reported anyway. Uh, and he said, uh, he basically said that that this helps the Yankees a lot, that that it resets their their luxury tax thing, and they'll be able to spend tons of money, and Matt Wieters will be a Yankee in two years. Uh, so he did not intend for that to be reported in USA Today, but it was anyway. Um, have you have you ever had any, any moments... Uh, as a writer slash reporter, when you weren't sure whether something was on or off the record, or you you thought something was on when it wasn't, uh, I don't believe I've ever reported anything that I was later told was supposed to be off the record. Uh, and to some degree, that's because I'm not a very good reporter. <laughs> and so, if somebody tells me something in my head, I'm constantly filtering through like, why is this person telling me this, and how does it benefit them? And mm-hmm. if they tell me something that doesn't benefit them, I think. I must have made a mistake, and I'm—I I'm, mean, I, admittedly, this is because I'm a bad reporter, right? I don't have that killer instinct. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, so, so I'm likely to, in the, in such cases, I'm likely to really clarify and say, just making sure we're on the record at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully, my sources trust me more because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, it's never been an issue, and you know, I covered some sensitive things when I was a real reporter. Uh-huh. <laughs> Those were the days. Um, okay. And the other thing that a bunch of people emailed us about or tweeted us about was the, the Bruce Chen thing. Did yes. you see that? Can you summarize I did. that? 
Yeah. So, uh, and I'm, I can't believe neither of us remember this at the time because yeah. it was, I was so caught up in the idea at the yeah. time, but, uh, the Red Sox, when there was a, it was, was it game 162 or 163? I think it was 162. Cause wasn't, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. They didn't have a 163. Right. It would have been a 163 if they, if they won that game. So, uh, for 162, two years ago, uh, they had to go with some subpar starter, and there was a lot of talk about them getting Bruce Chen, who would have been pitching on normal rest and who, you know, was a free agent for the Royals. Um, and so the idea was kicked around that they would get him as a one-day rental. Mm-hmm. And somebody, I don't, I don't remember who, but somebody pointed out that um, there is a real question about whether you would be getting the guy's best work. And uh, we were thinking about it from the perspective of, you know, the the team's chemistry or the you know how the fans would react or or how baseball in general would react and, and all that but you do wonder like if a guy is being brought in for one start on a team that you know he has really no emotional ties to and he knows that he's not going to get to pitch the next game with them you wonder what it'll be like for him if you'll get his his best work but and also he's going to be pitching to a catcher who's not familiar with him there's probably some sort of framing demerits involved in that and mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, just the communication with his catch, the communication with his defense. So it's there. You probably if the the, I, the question at the time was Felix versus a typical number three starter <laughs> yeah. on short rest. Bruce Chen, so, <laughs> not not quite the same. Bruce Chen is not quite the same thing. But <laughs> even if you even if you consider like that was we decided like a two two run per game difference or like one and a half to two runs per game. Mm-hmm. You probably would want to knock Felix maybe a, a half a run too in that instance and so uh it's probably even a smaller margin mm-hmm. okay good banter all right now onto okay. the onto the real stuff uh why don't i start okay um so i have a piece that you haven't read yet but is going to run tomorrow uh friday uh, in prospectus we'll see um if i, if I like it uh it's about extensions and what i did is i looked at um now that now that some of the the ex, early extensions that have been signed during the extension era have a few years of history, I, I look to see whether they're still as club friendly as we assume all of these are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were from I looked at a 13 month period from uh, December 1st, basically of 2010 until the end of 2011. So uh, basically, we've got you know like a couple years since then, and and I looked at those uh, 14. 14 contracts that were 14 extensions that were signed uh, at least three years before their teams had to act. So mm-hmm. players with three or fewer years of service time or players who had already signed extensions that were at least three years away from expiring. Um, so 14 of those, right? There are 14 times where a club went three years into the future uh, in order to sign an extension for a player. And I wanted to see whether those 14 turned out to be uh, overwhelmingly club club favorite club favorable uh-huh. or just sort of or not favorable at all so uh i'm not going to give away the ending probably unless you ask me but um there were a few uh there were a few cases that i think it was debatable whether the the last question in each in each uh player case was would they sign him today for what he still owed right which is a pretty simple enough way of determining whether it turned out club friendly or not right mm-hmm. and so would they sign him today for what he's owed uh you know uh, like uh, Jay Bruce is, uh, well, I don't even have that number in front of me. Uh, Johnny Cueto, for instance, is owed $10 million next year, and he has a $10 million option for the year after that. 
clearly the Reds would sign him for one year, $10 million with a cheap option after that. I, yes. I think that's a, a pretty obvious they would sign him today for what he is owed. So an Bruce, easy yes. Jay Bruce is 10, 12, 12.5 with a, yeah, and there's, and a 13 and an million option. option. Yeah. Yeah. So three years, basically 35 million with a reasonable option at the end of it. They would clearly sign Jay Bruce for that today. Yes. Like no question whatsoever. Yes. Um, so uh, there were a few though that I, that I had to go back and forth on or that, you know, I, I picked a side and have an opinion, but I feel like maybe other people would have other opinions. So I just wanted to run these by you and see what okay. you thought. All right. Is that okay? Is That's that a okay. good topic? Sure. Topic for a show. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Alexi Ramirez. Uh. Alexi Ramirez is uh, 32, about to turn 32 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is coming off a, well, he's in the middle of a very poor offensive year. He has one home run. Um, but he's generally been graded out as a very good defender. And he's still, you know, he's above replacement for sure. And, you know, was good not that long ago. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's Alexi Ramirez. Uh, he is currently owed $29.5 million over the next three years if the White Sox pick up a $10 million option. So two year, basically two years, $20 million with a $10 million option. Would the White Sox sign him today for two years, $20 million with a club option at $10 million? Huh. Uh, I guess I would say he's probably not likely to be a great deal in a, just a dollars per win sense. I would think with that, I mean, he'd have to be, he'd have to be like an average player, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. He'd have to be an average player. Which, well, with she, a, well, and he, yeah. he, he basically was that last year or he was. we have him as that last year, um, mostly based on his glove. Uh, and this year he's on pace not to be that. Um, I guess, yeah, that is pretty close. Um, he's going to be 32 and 33 those seasons. Uh, I guess I'll say, I'll say yes. Just, I don't know, shortstop and there aren't a lot of those. There are, there, there are not a lot of short subs. Yeah. It's tough to say. This is a case where you look at his stats and you see the trajectory. Yeah. Uh, right. You either see the trajectory or you see the, you know, the mean. Mm-hmm. And if you see the trajectory, you go, Oh, well, he's going to be out of the league in two years. Mm-hmm. And he very well might be. If you look at the average over the last four years and you wait it, then he's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. And Pakota basically sees him as a roughly a two win player over the course of a full season, mm-hmm. uh, just slightly below that, which is about what he needs to be worth $10 million this year with a little bit of inflation next year. Uh, you know, that puts him right on pace and the White Sox get that club option. So they have a little bit of, of Im- embedded upside without, you know, any risk on that third year. Mm-hmm. I, I concluded that they would not, mm-hmm. I concluded they would not, but what was uh, what was the trade that we said that they rejected yesterday the, or was the, reported? The trade that they reportedly yeah. rejected was for Carlos Martinez, oh, the right. Cardinals' excellent prospect. So, so if they actually if they actually rejected that, then that suggests that they they would probably value him as as worthy of that contract. I would think that's that's so fair, that's fair logic. Ben. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Uh, unless they think Carlos Martinez uh, like has bed bugs, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Wade Davis. Uh, Wade Davis, of course, signed a kind of like absurdly early deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually there's a couple of them. Davis is one of them that were signed so early that it's actually hard to say if they would sign him because he would still be arbitration eligible this year. Mm. Uh, but 
I guess what the question is, is, is he, so in that case, I guess the question is just, is he, you know, is the club control still valuable at this point? Um, right now, Wade Davis will make $4 million next year. And then there are three, I believe three options, uh, progressively more expensive coming up after that. Uh, something like six, seven, seven, eight, ten. Seven, eight, ten. Okay. So four million next year, four point eight, and then seven, eight, ten after that. Hmm. Um, and he would otherwise be how many years of service time does he have? Uh, uh 3.032. Okay. So he would, other, he would otherwise be going into his second year of arbitration hmm. and then, uh, he'd have one more year of arbitration and then he'd be a free agent. So, uh, Club control of Wade Davis right now, valuable or not valuable? Uh, um, I'm going to say not so much. Uh, when when they signed that extension, it wasn't clear whether he would be a, a reliever or a starter, I guess. Now it seems pretty clear that he is not at least going to be a good starter. Um, and so, I mean, 4.8 for a... For a could potentially be a pretty good reliever is not terrible, but um, but for an arbit- uh, reliever in arbitration, right. yeah, is yeah. Much. So I, I'll, I'll say no. Yeah, I'll say no too. Uh, so we agree. Wade Davis is a no. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, uh, Clay Buckles. And the so, Rays traded the guy who wasn't a great deal. Shocker. Yeah. Although they also uh, signed him to it, but it was never quite clear to me whether Wade Davis was a. a uh, a uh, like a valuable asset in that deal or not like it was never clear to me whether the Royals wanted Ray Davis or whether the Rays wanted to get rid of Wade Davis yeah it's still not it's still not clear to me <laughs> yeah because people people always cited they said Shields was only there for like one more year but then you had Wade Davis for like three more years uh, lots of team control there which supposedly sweetened that that return but eh. I think Shields was there for three years, and Davis is there for five. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, Clay Buckholtz. Um, so Clay Buckholtz um, has pitched something like 70 innings this year. Um, but, you know, they were really amazing innings. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was a Cy Young candidate before he, he went down. Um, and basically, Pakoda projects him to be a 3 to 3.5 win player over 200 innings. But... You know, he doesn't ever do that, and mm-hmm. he's only really come close twice. So he is owed, according to the numbers I saw, $20 million over the next two years with $13 million options the two seasons after that. Uh, if Clay Buckholtz were a free agent right now, would he get more or less than $20 million over the next two years with $13 million options? Uh, I'm going to guess more. Oh, sorry. I have to... I have to clarify. Mm. This would be his final year of arbitration. Uh-huh. So he would actually have one year where he would probably would get slightly less than his free agent. And then, and then, you know, so the, the Red Sox could just wait and uh-huh. see how he recovers and then, you know, go. So, yeah. Uh, or maybe they would want to sign him now when he's hurt. Uh, although he often is, I, I guess I would say, I guess I would say yes. Yeah, I think that he would make he's going to get 7.7 million next year and I would guess that he would get less than that in arbitration so mm-hmm. the Red Sox are going to be paying him more next year than they otherwise would and I, I just I think that I kind of think they would wait. I think they'd wait it out 
Um, and my guess is that they would not sign him for that right now. I just don't know. I mean, it's hard to, he's had, he's basically had two good stretches in his career. One of them was very recent, right? So I can see why they'd be attracted to him Mm because it was very recent. He was great for like two and a half months, but he's had two good stretches in his entire career. He's got five years of service time, two good stretches and two healthy stretches. And otherwise he's been mostly injured, mostly not great. And a lot of times, both of those things. I, I don't know, man. I don't know that right now he's a guy that I'd want to commit $20 million to. Although the upside of those options is enticing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm tempted. Yeah, I, I, could, I think that I, I'm not surprised that you would go yes. And I, I think I came down on the side of no. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the last one is Trevor Cahill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Trevor Cahill signed basically the same deal that Buckholtz did. Um, and he's also on the deal, but he's going to be back probably in about, I don't know, two weeks or something like that. Uh, he was traded shortly after the extension was signed. Uh, he has produced, uh, 1.6 warp in the two and a half seasons since, but I think he is generally perceived as being better than that. Mm -hmm. He's also durable. Yes. Um, and he's consistent. So, and he's got like exactly the same deal as Buckholz, it looks like, or just about, I think he got 7.7. 12 yeah well the same going forward yeah Yeah, right i think he got like a slightly bigger signing bonus or something Uh um so uh yeah so pakoda projects him to be about two wins a year when healthy Mm -hmm. um and he's basically the opposite of buckles right he's he's Mm -hmm. reasonably certain to be on the field and not nearly as likely to be great when he's there Mm -hmm. so 7.7 Wait, what is it? 7.7, 12. Yeah. And then, and then 13 million. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll say yes again. Uh, I think I think teams would, would value the 200-inning the guy, although he's, yeah. he's not going to be that this year, but has been the last couple of years and almost the last three years. Um, so, yeah, I'll say yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm on the fence, but I say yes as well. Okay. All right. So then go read the thing and find out whether these guys are – uh, well, go find out whether these are good signings or not. Because yes. there are bad ones too. Good teaser. Subscribe to Baseball Prospectus and read Sam's article about extensions today. Um, okay, so my topic is about the Cubs international spending strategy. Uh, and I guess it could be any team's international spending strategy. So the Cubs, uh, just just before we started recording, announced that they had signed... Eloy Jimenez, uh, who was kind of the the consensus top international J2 pick this year. Um, And it's a a big deal. It's $2.8 million uh, plus a college scholarship. And the Cubs have really... Wait. Yeah. Two point... He's gonna. Oh yeah, he'll go to, like in the off season. He'll go to college. He's yeah. not. I in my head, I had this idea that he was gonna go to college, and then they and were then gonna like. like <laughs> then they would. Yeah, like four years from now, he join. <laughs> he joined the team. I don't know. I don't know why that. Never mind. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so the Cubs have really gone big internationally. They they signed him for two point eight. Uh, they signed someone else for one point seven. Someone else for one point six three. And two other guys for close to a million. So their total for international spending is almost eight million. Oh my word! Yeah. So that's that's crazy. When when Ben uh, Badler did the thing mm-hmm. about trading slots, uh, I believe that he said the Astros would be a team that that would be interested in trading, not because 
they were going cheap, but because it was impossible to spend five point five million or whatever they had. Right. Uh, yeah. So so the Cubs uh, they started out with the second biggest bonus pool after the Astros. It was like four point five six or so. And then they acquired some extra money in the Scott Feldman trade and the the Torres trade and Carlos Marmol. So, so that brought them up almost another million. So their total bonus pool after those trades was like five and a half. Uh, so they've they've exceeded that by by quite a bit by over two million. Um, and so the the penalties for doing this are steep. Uh, if you Go over your pool, over your allotment by 15% or more, which which they have. Uh, you get a hundred percent tax on anything uh, over the over the pool allotment. So you have to to pay double on that extra two million that they spent. And then there are the penalties for for next season signing period, which is that they won't be allowed to sign a player for more than two hundred and fifty thousand. Even uh, if they if they so they even if they paid a penalty. Yeah, they, they like, just like they couldn't. They, they just couldn't can't say, do it. I, don't, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, and and they've signed several guys for more than that this year. I mean, for for two hundred and fifty k, you're you're not gonna get one of the the top guys available, really. So, uh, I guess it was uh, before the futures game, maybe before this this latest bonus was announced. Uh, I was talking to a, I guess you could say, talent evaluator who said that his theory about what the Cubs were doing uh, was that they were going to go really big this year, go over their allotment, sign all the top guys, and then next year when they're not allowed to spend anyone, the trade thing yeah, the thing is you can still trade your slots. I think you can trade up to 50% of your, of your allotment. So they could trade something like, I don't know, 2 million or so in, in slots. Um, so that seems like it could be a decent strategy, just kind of going uh, boom and bust one year to the next, just signing all the top guys one year, paying that overage. And then the next year, when you're not allowed to spend any money, you trade all your slots to teams that can. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. Before this signing period, we, we talked about what those slots would be worth and what teams would, would give up for them. And, so we saw some of those trades, and I feel like I don't have the greatest handle really on how teams valued that uh, money in, in terms of prospects. But um, but that's that's a lot of money that they could potentially potentially trade next year and reinforce their farm system that way. And then the next year, maybe they go back to this same strategy. Although, and it seems like the the benefit to doing that would be biggest when you're the only team doing that. Um, if every team is doing that, then you're not going to get the top guys because there'll be a bidding war and uh, you won't be able to just get the cream of the crop one year. You'll have to share it with the other teams. But if the Cubs are the only one doing this now, they can just kind of skim all the top talent off the top this year uh, and then sort of take next year off and restock in another way. Um, so uh, it feels to me like there are I'm not sure I see how this works. Like, I, I, I think I might see how it works, but I'm not sure I see how it works. I mean, I understand the mechanics of what they're doing, but I'm not sure I see the benefit. So let me just talk it through for a second. Okay. Yeah. So I'm always uh, out of my depth when we discuss when we discuss international spending, and we feel so like we both are. So 
presumably, let's say, let's just say for the sake of this conversation that there's just as many good players next year as there are this year. Okay. So it's not a year where there's like a particularly strong class. And I actually, I asked the guy that I was speaking to, like, can you even tell whether one year's crop will be good a year in advance? Because in the, in the amateur draft, you can kind of tell, or, or people think they can tell at least that, that the next year's crop will be especially good or bad. But these guys are so young that apparently not, you can't really forecast even a year in advance to say that this J2 crop will be better than average or worse. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's like trying to predict who the hot boy band is going to be in a year. Right. So it's, you know, teenagers, what are you going to do? Uh-huh. Um, so they have, let's say they have $4 million, they spent $8 million this year. Hmm. They had $4 million in, you know, in cap space originally. Mm-hmm. It's not cap uh, space. What's the word? S- slots? Yeah, a pool, right. allotment. So they had like $4 million or so originally. Yeah, four they, and a half. They traded, they traded for some more. So they, mm-hmm. they got up to like six or something like that, right? Five and a half-ish. So five and a half-ish. So then presumably next year they'll also have, you know, like let's say two and a half. They're a bad team, so maybe three, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're going to have eight and a half total between this year and, and last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, between this year and next year. So this year they spent eight and a half, and next year they're going to spend like you know basically none. They'll spend a little on on like low end guys, but not really much. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to trade some some slots for you know like prospect types, low end prospect types. Mm-hmm. But they had to trade low end prospect types this year to beef up their their yes. And they're going to pay three million dollars extra. Uh, because they went three million dollars over their slots this year, mm-hmm. so they are. It seems like they're hurting themselves on both ends. Like it feels like an inefficient way to get guys because they're paying twice as much next year, and yes, they're trading their slots. Uh, sorry, they're paying twice as much this year, and they're trading their slots next year. But they are uh, like. I mean, they could trade them if if those slots are valuable enough to. I don't know, Ben. I'm getting confused. <laughs> me, it feels me. it feels so. This is what I think. This is when I uh, when I think about selling a house uh-huh. and buying a new house, which I don't want to do. But like, if I ever think about that, it feels like a bad idea because you end up spending so much money on paperwork mm-hmm. and like you know getting getting you know all these taxes. You know, Exactly. Like there's all this stuff that like you pay the realtor 6%, you pay the the notary to stamp the paper or whatever. You got to pay, you know, somebody to clean the house. And it's just like, it's just like a, like, it's like if you have, uh, it's like if you have a, a drug dealer who is like, if your drug dealer is the drug dealer, you get pure drugs, but if there's nine drug dealers between yeah. between you and the main guy, every drug dealer steps on that product and puts a little bit of baking soda in, right? Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to have too many transactions. Like the goal should be fewer transactions in life because each transaction has transaction fees. And so, like you just, it seems to me that ideally you just want to simplify <laughs> and make it as simple as possible and just sign your guys and not have like too clever of a plan. Uh, so that's why it's hard for me to to see how this works. Now, like you noted at the beginning, we're not the experts on this. And you know who the experts are? Like if we had to know like how to do this, we would go to the Cubs and we would ask them how to do this. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not I'm not saying in any way that they're wrong. Uh-huh. I'm saying I'm lost. I've gotten a little bit lost in this. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the 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 person I spoke to who 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 guessed that this would be their plan was like scared of them doing this, uh, and so it felt to me like like a smart thing because of that, and because presumably the Cubs are smart, and uh, then again, a lot of other teams are smart and are not doing this. Um, it feels like maybe. Like being an early adopter of this strategy could potentially be a, a bigger payoff. Like if, because if you if you wait and five other teams are doing this, um, then you're going to have to be a, in a bidding war with those five other teams for the top prospects yeah. on the market. Whereas right. right now, no one else is doing this. They're just abiding by their slots for the most part. Uh, yeah, it feels like the it feels like what they're doing is sort of gambling that they can set off a run on on J two prospects that like uh-huh. that by by doing this that next year teams will be trying to spend more on J two prospects and teams will be uh, paying more for slot space to do it that like basically this it feels to me like they're gambling that everybody was conservative this year mm-hmm. and so they they're striking while everybody is conservative. Yeah. And that next year it might be a kind of a wilder market and they aren't going to have as much interest or their their dollar isn't going to go as far next year. So if, if that's what they're gambling. For trading their slots. Exactly. So if that's what they're gambling, that seems – I can I can follow that. I can – you know, it, it it all might work, make sense. But, I mean, at least I can follow that. I don't – that's a gamble though. Who knows? Maybe that won't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe everybody will say, oh, look, we had these slots and we ended up getting guys we wanted. So mm-hmm. we'll just do it how we did it. Well, it's an interesting thing that they're doing uh, that no one else seems to be doing. So we'll see what happens next year, I guess. And if, if the if the ramifications and implications of this are clearer to you listening to us talk about it than, than they are to us talking about it, uh, email us and, and let us know what you think. Um, yeah. All right. The end. Okay. Uh, so email us uh, if you want to send us emails for our email show. If you want to sponsor us, you can email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. What if they want to rate us, Ben? If they want to rate us, they do have that option. Uh, they can go to iTunes, and there's there's a row of five stars, and you pick how many that you think we deserve, and you click on that number of stars. Uh, so that is, that's a quick thing that you could do at some point this weekend. We appreciate those of you who have rated and reviewed us, uh, and we hope more of you will. And that's the week. So have a, have a wonderful weekend and we'll be back on Monday.